This episode of The Candid Frame is sponsored by The Charcoal Book Club. The Charcoal Book Club is a monthly subscription service for photo book enthusiasts. Working with the most respected names in contemporary photography, Charcoal selects and delivers essential photo books to a worldwide community of collectors. Each month, members receive a signed first edition monograph and an exclusive print to add to their collections. Join the club by visiting charcoalbookclub.com and use the promo code THECANDRIPFRAME at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. We also have the support of LensRentals.com, the largest online camera rental house in the U.S. They carry the most popular brands and models of cameras and lenses, but also anything you need for video, lighting, post-processing accessories, and more. Whether you need something for a one-time assignment or want to test it out before you buy, LensRentals.com is there to help. Explore their extensive inventory and save 10% on your first order when you sign up for their newsletter at LensRentals.com newsletter. If you have a passion for photojournalism or documentary photography, you could have a lot to gripe about. There's a big decrease in the number of newspapers and magazines dedicated to that work. Media monopolies prioritize profits, which means a reduction in staff, resources, and creates content that better serves advertisers rather than readers, and certainly not photographers. So when a group of people get together to provide an alternative to that status quo, I think it's worthy of our attention. The Curious Society provides a bright light against such darkness. Founded by photographers including photojournalist Kenneth Durecki and Paul Bellinger, they and their team have created a presence where photojournalists can find a home for exceptional documentary and journalistic work. Better yet, photographers are compensated financially at rates that are increasingly rare in today's print media. The result is a premiumly designed and printed publication, as well as grants to help promote the very work they showcase. I'm honored and glad to support their efforts, and I hope you will as well. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. Well, thank you guys for coming on the show and uh, and, and talking about uh, the work that you're doing. Thank you um, for having us. Yeah, yeah. I, I found out about you and uh, and the Curiosity Society from Clubhouse, uh, yeah. which I was kind of, I wasn't too sure about what, what this whole thing was, but a couple of friends convinced me. And then I found the group and started listening in. And then when I saw what you guys were doing, I I, I was ex- excited. Put down, put my money where my mouth was in order to, you know, support the with the work that you're doing. And uh, I just wanted to turn other people on um, to something that I think is really important and, and much needed. But let's start with that in terms of, let's talk about about the idea behind the Curiosity Society and how, how it all came to be and how you two came to collaborate on it. Yeah. Uh, just to start, it's it's the Curious Society. Curious um, just, Society. Just one word. No worries, no worries. But yeah, Ken, you go ahead and talk about it. It's. I, I wish I had an an easy answer. This was something I've been thinking about for years. This idea of creating this magazine that's uh, the best possible photojournalism magazine that's ever been created. I'm a longtime member of Contact Press Images. And we had this, uh, just this operating philosophy where everything we'd shoot, we'd shoot as if we had a 20-page spread in the greatest magazine ever. And I, I, I actually didn't realize that it, we didn't have that magazine, that it didn't exist. And so the first couple of years, I was just like, man, I'm, I'm, waiting, I'm waiting for this greatest magazine ever. And finally, the other guys, the older photographers, David Burnett, whoever, uh, just clued me in that this magazine doesn't exist. It's only a philosophy. It's only a target that we aim for that doesn't really exist. And I was just like so bummed, so bummed that this this ideal thing, nobody made it. 
And so it's always in, in the, been in the back of my mind. And when COVID came along, I had this project that I was doing. I was kind of doing these these uh, zins. Everybody else says zines, but I don't know. I can't get that right. But <laughs> I was doing, I did like seven of them and they were completely anonymous. And I just had a website uh, just on the blurb site where people could could order them. It was just a dry run. It was like a practice to start seeing images on paper again, because it's 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 one of those things when you get away from it and you start shooting for digital output, you lose some of those some of those ideas behind how to make an image appear good on paper. And so I started this little zine just to kind of get back in the swing of things and and even to try to kind of figure out if if this if this if this idea had any legs and i did um six of those and then covid came along and we were all locked down i mean you have a choice right you can sit down and and watch netflix from start to finish or you can find a project <laughs> and there is no time no time like the present and I called up Paul and I said, well, I'm, I'm going to do this. And I, uh, you know, I want you to be on board. I, you, you know, you know, all my thoughts on this, you know, everything I've, I want to accomplish with this. And uh, Paul didn't hesitate. I said, it's going to be a lot of work and we don't even know what kind of work it's going to be. And we don't even know what kind of problems we're going to run into. You know, Paul didn't, didn't even hesitate. He just like, yeah, I'm, I'm there a hundred percent. And after I talked to Paul, I talked to my wife and I talked to our children all at the same time. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to pull the trigger on this and we're going to try to make this happen. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to take time away from all of you. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's going to be a, a great success or a, a spectacular failure. Um, but they gave me their blessing, and so you know, with Paul on board and my family's blessing, that's how that's how we that's how we that's how we got the ball rolling. Yeah, and, sure. and Paul, what did, yeah, go ahead, Paul. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the The origin of the Curious Society has has you know roots in a few things that Ken and I have done over the years. Um, I think going back uh, eight years ago, we actually pitched a different a different magazine idea. Um, and started, you know, collecting investments and we were going to make sort of like an art and culture fashion type of a magazine, you know, one thing or another happened. I think one of our, one of our main partners in that kind of dropped out and, but we were always doing things like we would go do shoots together. We would go do street photography together. And that's when the idea came along to, to like have Ken start doing these zines under the title, the curious project. And it was just going to be this anonymous zine. And so him and I, I mean, I think I was there when you photographed almost every one of those. Um, we did other art projects where we projected pictures up on buildings and had art at, a, at an art walk event, things like this in our in the small town that we were living in, Billings, Montana. Um, at the time, I was living in Billings, Montana, and Ken just lives outside of in Joliet, Montana. So we met, we hit it off. We just started doing projects together. And then one thing just kind of slowly s- snowballed into another um, another big impetus for it was when we started doing a candid frame kind of inspired uh, podcast on YouTube. We created a YouTube channel called Talking Pictures, and it was a very similar concept um, as this, except we were focusing more on photojournalists and documentary photographers. And as we heard their stories and as we talked with them off the podcast, you know, in our e- everyday lives, interact with them, we discovered that there was this gaping hole in the industry um, where there's just really not any great print outlets for f- photojournalism and documentary photography. Um, so we saw that it was an opportunity. And so once we kind of realized that there was this, this work that's out there, this really great work that has no place to go, um, we thought, you know, why don't we fill that hole? You know, the Curious Society was born. And yeah, and COVID obviously, you know, was kind of the thing that pushed us over the edge. Let's talk about the the, the magazine, because that sort of seems to be like the, the showcase of the work that you're doing. You guys are going to be doing a variety of different other things, but um, the, the concept behind the, uh, the publication is a quarterly publication that showcases a variety of different work. And it's not going to be a thick tome. It's going to be a, a thick puppy that shows a diverse body of work. And with 
you know, with the unique, unique caveat is that you're paying um, the photographers who contribute to it at a rate that is unlike what uh, a lot of photographers now currently face in in the magazine industry. So tell us about about why you chose to do it do it that way. Why was that important to you? Well, it 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 had to be in print because if you think about the medium, you know the the famous saying the the medium is the message. The medium it crafts the message. So Instagram has changed the way we see as photographers. It's simplified our view. It's allowed us to cut corners. It's changed the way that we interact with photography. And so how do you get someone to interact with an image for more than a second or with Instagram more than a fraction of a second? I thought the best way to do that was actually change the tactile experience of interacting with images. So if if you're if you're if you're looking at the work of Edward Weston today or Douglas Kirkland, the the interaction is with our phones for the most part. So the first thing to do was change that interaction. So now it's on paper. You feel the paper. You smell the paper. The texture of the paper. The weight of the magazine. This magazine it weighs over five pounds. You're turning pages. You're not flipping your finger. It forces the viewer to actually disconnect from their phone. Hopefully, they get a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, and they sit <laughs> in some nice light, and they page through this thing. And that's a different way to interact with photography right off the bat. So, in some ways, we're trying to bring a gallery or museum experience into a person's home. The other point of that, the, the, the idea that, you know, if you... Look at cuneiform, okay? Like, why did cuneiform look the way it did? Because they had to write on a clay tablet. So, you don't write in cursive on a, on a clay tablet. You press in shapes, and the shapes are very simple. And the, the tablet hardens, and anybody can read that, whether it's 10 days down the road or a 1,000 years down the road, right? But the clay tablet is what dictated how cuneiform, how it had to look. And so, Instagram is basically doing that to our photography today. And so, if you think about, I don't know, Gio Perez, you think about his work, would that have engaged viewers on Instagram? I don't think so. To me, that was, it was, it was, it was tragic to think that, uh, a photographer like Gio Perez, if he comes along today, he or she comes along today, their work doesn't get any traction because of the medium that it's mainly seen on. So that is another, that's another reason why it had to be on paper. We had to make it exclusive. We've trained ourselves, even us photographers, we've trained ourselves that photography is free and that it just exists out there. And in doing so, we've uh, kind of undermined the whole system that used to fund this type of work. When I was working for Time or Life magazine, say you're working for Time magazine and there's 9 million subscribers, or I, I don't even know what they had back in the heyday, but that was the, the original source of crowdfunding. Every subscriber, you know, if you have a penny from every subscriber, that pays for a lot of photography. You have a dollar from every, that's your photography budget right there. Not even though that's before you get to advertising dollars and, and stuff like that. So how do we, how do we fund this? And so the idea of having a, a medium that's it, by its very design is exclusive. You can't get away from the cost of paper or ink or shipping. So all these factors together just that and the and the, the archival the the unchanging the beauty of just having a printed uh, publication all those things came together to really dictate that this had to this had to be on paper we had to go you know back to the future to make this work and Paul talk, talk to me about the kind of work that you were 
that you were hoping to get in not just the the initial issue, but in subsequent issues. We're we're talking about photojournalism, but most people when they think of photojournalism, they think, may think of a newspaper. And some of the work that, from what I've been able to see talked about on Clubhouse and also on Instagram, seems to be along the lines of like documentary photography. For people who may not sort of be familiar with the distinctions, um, why don't you sort of explain? Yeah, you know that and and what kind of work you found to uh, to illustrate the, the the first issue issue. Yeah, for sure. Um, so a big impetus for us was that we wanted to we saw that there was a really big problem in the photojournalism industry where photographers take these very small day rates and then they don't own their copyright. Their pictures get ran over and over again through a licensing agency um, and, and a lot of the big outlets out there. They you know, they have this subscription model where they can basically just, you know, use these pictures over and over again. And the photographers don't get paid um, for each use um, most often, in most cases. So we really wanted to create a home for that work. Um, and so that was really our goal from the beginning was to take photojournalism. So like you're talking, what people would think about is news photography. Well, one of the problems is that in, in the current, you know, b- before the Curious Society, there weren't as very many outlets for things beyond just a single feature image in a newspaper. You know, the depth of a story in a newspaper can only go maybe six pictures deep. We were really inspired by the great photo essays, you know, Country Doctor by Eugene Smith. And and so we wanted to create a home for that kind of work as well. So it we, we have a section in there that is sort of like newsy single section where it's like, you know, just the, a single image that tells a story in and of itself. But we also wanted to create a space for long form essays. Um, so for instance, we have, a, we have an essay in this magazine that's going 24 pages. Um, and that's just wow. something, that's just something that, you know, almost no other outlet has the ability to give that many pages to a single story. And the whole idea is that we want to encourage photographers to do that kind of work. Um, we don't want photographers just going out and looking for just sort of phoning it in, checking a box off on, you know, cover the local event, send it off to a wire. We want deep photography that tells a story where, where the photographer is invested in the story where they can afford, of course, we want to be able to pay them so that they can afford to, to cover a story for a long period of time. The, the story that I'm mentioning, this photographer was out making those pictures for like four or five months on the road. And so they wouldn't be able to do that. And unless, unless they had, you know, different outlets and that story could have been chopped up and parceled out to different outlets here and there, and they could have cobbled together some income from it. But we wanted to basically create a place where it could be seen in the way that it should be seen, which is in that full long form essay. So, yes, it does cover what, what you would traditionally explain as uh, photojournalism, but also documentary photography, which the major difference there just being that it, typically you get to know your subjects for a longer period of time. You stay with the story for longer and you try to you know, convey the story in a photo essay. Um, and then we also have a third category that I would just call street photography. We've got a couple of longer photo essays that are just all street photography. And that is a, a difference where all three categories are what we would call real pictures. They're not set up. They're not manipulated. They're, actually, they're pictures that actually depict the world the way that it is. And of course, from a point of view. So to us, they're all real pictures. And so we, we value them all equally. And we wanted to create a space where they could all live in the same magazine um, and kind of like, you know, try to create music out of these d- dis- different in- instruments, you know. So um, that's that's kind of the, the way that we look at it at the Curious Society. The, the point you were making earlier about how you would shoot an assignment as if it was going to be a spread and in the mention of Gene Smith is is with with respect to the photo story the the photographic essay in which you're not just looking at a singular image and that's it you're you're looking at not just having a lot of pictures you're talking about having a narrative um you know the the, the art of being able to juxtapose two three or four images on opposite pages to you know to to complete a, a narrative in a, in a story um, and that's something that just doesn't exist in most publications these days. It's just images that are there to illustrate a, a, a story, a written text, if that. So tell me about the the design considerations that you guys were making with respect to, yeah, you're getting this sort of great work, but the design and sort of the layout is a big is a big consideration. Talk, talk to me about that journey for you, too. 
Well, that was that was quite a journey because you can't have a 256-page magazine and keep the viewers' attention. Can't do that with just a bunch of double trucks, right? You have to shake up the viewer. You have to move their eye around the page. And that's another tool that we have that you can't do on Instagram. You can't really do it on uh, most websites either. Part of the biggest, the biggest change in the medium over the last, say, 15 years was the online slideshow. So instead of images on a page, like you, like you said, bouncing off one another and three images saying something different than one image could ever say, uh, and, and, and the, subtle, the subtle things you could communicate, all those things have been, they don't exist really on Instagram. They don't, they, 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 they exist now and then on, on websites, but not on your standard online slideshow. So that was a tool that we had to um, really take advantage of. And so personally, my philosophy is uh, words and pictures on a page are the ideal way to tell a story. And that, that marriage, when it, when it's a, when it comes together properly in the pages of a magazine, I think is magic. It's, 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 it's my favorite way to, to learn about the people we're sharing this planet with. So to do that, <laughs> back to your question, we have, we worked with a design firm out of Houston, a big, big giant ad agency. And I brought up these problems and they came up with a, a design philosophy that's very sophisticated. It's, 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 I, you wouldn't know by looking at the magazine, the pages of the magazine, but there's actually a six column grid on each page that mimics the six columns you'd see in the New York times or the Washington post, the, the underlying architecture of that. So we, 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 we pay homage to that, to that traditional uh, six column structure and then we kind of just go completely, you know, gonzo from there. So that structure exists. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's some spreads in this magazine that might have nine or 11 images that all work together. And the beautiful part of the, the smallest, the smallest images we have in the magazine are basically one column by one column. Those are the, the, the portraits of the contributors on the contributors pages. Those are completely, they're completely readable there. You don't have to squint. You don't have to, you don't have to put the magazine like right next to your eyeballs. They play. So an image that's, that's, that's two columns in this magazine plays as if it was a quarter page in a normal size magazine. It's hard to describe without seeing it. And my board members, the board members, they, they, they had no idea what I was doing until I showed them the proofs and then they kind of got it. So it's, it's hard to explain exactly what this, what this creature is without seeing it. Yeah. But the layout it's, 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 it's traditional why, while being, you know, new journalism, gonzo, whatever term you want to describe that. And the thing that it does, it, it, it forces the viewer to take that journey along with the photographer because they have to be, not only do they have this five pounds sitting in their lap and these huge pages, but their eye has to, has to move around the page and they have to engage with, with the page. And each page is a new experience. There's not, well, I, I won't say that, but there's, there's two pieces in this uh, magazine that are kind of diptychs. So that's kind of like your traditional gallery view of a magazine. Besides that, there's not, there's not two pages in this magazine that, that have the same layout. Yeah. Um, I think we just need to mention that it's really big in size. Um, so it's 14 and a half inches tall, um, which is almost four inches taller than mo your standard, you know, magazine that you'll find at the grocery store. It's 11 inches wide. So when you open it up, it's almost 22 inches across, almost two feet wide. 
So it's, it's big in size. It's 256 pages. It's being printed by a printer that makes a lot of books from, from big, big book publishers that we all know about. Cause I know Abarian X is a book lover as well. And basically just to like, you know, even back up a little bit, Ken and I are both photographers and we're both, you know, like rabid book lovers and print lovers. So we would just go to Barnes and Noble and pull all the magazines and sit there and drink coffee and flip through for years. We did that. Um, we were living in the same town for four years. And during that time, we would meet up and do that all the time. He has a massive library of books. So when I met him, I was at the start of my career. And basically after that four year period of just going to his house as often as I could and going through all the photo books, I feel like I got an undergrad education in photojournalism and documentary photography, because that's really what he specialized in. So, so we're two photographers that are uh, just love photography books. Um, And so that was really our inspiration. So when we would go and see these huge fashion magazines that were giant in size, we thought we got to do this with, with, with documentary photography, where it's all about the pictures. There's not huge blocks of text and stuff. Um, That was really kind of our inspiration. And like I said, we're, we're two photographers. So, a whole bunch of things related to this magazine are not, you know, we don't have any expertise in. So we bring a real outside sort of perspective, like in the design room, um, when we got our designer on our zoom calls and stuff, you know, and it's like, we had thought we came up with a really great design on the page. And then our designer can just look at it in one second and tell you all the things that's wrong with it, you know, kind of like how we could do with the picture. So we really leaned on them to help us create a structure, but then they also, accommodated the fact that they're dealing with a vision here that's different from from any other type of magazine. So they created a structure for us to get creative with that. And Ken, uh, we're both we're both big fans of jazz. And so I think we kind of like look at the photo book, the sequencing of photos in a photo book, kind of like jazz, you know, there's quiet moments, there's loud moments, there's a whole variation. Some of it is improv. Some of it is patterns and and rhythms and things. And so we we really kind of took that philosophy as our as our main uh, approach to the design. And then it just took forever for uh, for to get for us to be able to translate it into uh, design speak uh, and get it actually laid out on on a page. This is a perfect example of the of the the idea of go big or go home. Yeah. And um, and, and. and I'm sure that you guys thought or people said, why don't you go with something just a little, little more conservative? Why don't you just try to do it like a traditional magazine, eight and a half, 11, 25 pages. Why don't you just test the waters and see, you know, how that worked? So I'm sure you, you heard all of that. But despite what you may have thought or others may have thought, why did you guys just say, no, we're just going to go for it? Yeah, it's really it's, it's Ken's vision. I, I kind of alluded to, to it before that you don't you don't get what this 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 is until you see it. I couldn't I couldn't explain it to the designers. I couldn't explain it to my board of directors. I couldn't explain it to Paul. I couldn't explain it to our photo editors, uh, the photographers. They still don't probably have a clear idea of uh, what they signed up for. Um, <laughs> And, and, and the idea, the jazz part is important as well, because this is, this magazine, we're basically doing four LPs a year. And the magazine is, the, each essay in the magazine is another track on that album. And at the end of the album, you should be able to go back and, and, and go back to your favorites and, and, and listen to them again revisit them a month down the road, six months down the road. This is, this is, um, it's a living thing. It's not disposable. So that's kind of to just use that music analogy. And you're not going to like every track on an album. Um, every album is not going to be thriller, but you know, or (laughs) it's, 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 it's going to have ebbs and flows and it's, it's going to, it's going to have a different pace and, you might like 70% of the album and that would be a success. I'd be happy if, if you liked 50% of this album and then the other 50% of the, the viewers are going to like, they will probably like the other half of the album. It's a, it's a complex thing. It's, yeah. it's, it's like music, but it's like dance. It's, it's, and it's all visual, right? Yeah. It's like, and it, you know, it's, it's a piece of art that you're creating with this. 
and and you know the 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 example of the album i think is a really perfect example there 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 are certain albums there are certain books there are certain films that i always have a different experience every time i pick it up you know i read i read i read the great gatsby every 10 years yes because every 10 years something's changed it about me yes and i experienced that book in a very different way i have no idea why it's the great gatsby for me because it's not necessarily the most you know the most engaging you know story you know there, there there are other tales that have been that have been told but there's just something about that book that just fascinates me and i like the way the fact that when i read it you know every every 10 years that i i'm i'm completely different in terms of who's reading the book at that particular moment and what i take away from it and and i like that that that's what you're chasing with this and i think that that's something that is it's definitely lost in this very in this space where everyone has such a short attention span and that once they've consumed something they're done with it yeah but but talk to me about what you were looking for in the work. I mean, because you've you talked about that this is going to be a showcase for great work, but be a little more specific in terms of what were you what were you looking for in terms of the imagery, the story uh, of not just what the photographer was doing, but possibly the story of the photographer who created the work. So we had, I forget what the number is. It's it's over four hundred and seventy different photographers. Uh, submit. We, we just said, you know, almost 500 submissions, uh, just to make it simple. And we, we our photo editors, uh, we, we have Mei Ying, and we have Natalie, Natalie Baring, Mei Ying Lam. Mei Ying is from a traditional uh, photo editing background. She worked at the Washington Post for eight years. And I was attracted to uh, her eye, through her photography, I was I was I was pursuing her as a photographer. And Natalie, Natalie, is has never photo edited before. She's uh, she's basically a self-made bootstrap type of boss woman photographer. Who uh, she moved to Beijing and became a photographer there. Learned Mandarin. <clears throat> She learned Mandarin, Mandarin, and uh, she spent I don't know five or six years working in in, in China as as uh, speaking the local language and running around with a camera. That's not you know. Then she then she had to up the bar by moving to uh, Kabul for two years. Mei Ying, her work was that it, I I didn't know who she was, and I saw her work from the Hong Kong protests. And I was just like, this is, this is someone who goes into this type of event that we all kind of, we have these traditional photojournalistic ideas of what a protest looks like. And she just turned those on, on, on her head and, and, and came up with images that I wasn't expecting to see. So they ended up being our photo editors. And they're the ones, along with Paul, who sifted through all these submissions. I only saw maybe 10% of the submissions. They filtered them out pretty well before they even got to me. By that time, the only thing I wanted to see, I I didn't want to really, I wanted to be able to feel something by looking at these images. I wanted to be hungry for more. I wanted to be engaged with the photographer and, and try to figure out, what they're trying to share with me. That's so that that's a long, long way of answering your question. That's what I look for. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, I think it's kind of funny that you mentioned that Mei Ying comes from a traditional background, but as an editor and as a photographer, she's anything but traditional. She's completely cutting edge. Um, she likes the, to, you know, she, she wants to actually break down photojournalism and, and really reinvent it. And so if you check out her Instagram, you'll see some very interesting work where she's doing things with sound waves, with pictures inside of them, where she's doing uh, iPhone portraits, where she screenshots, she takes a bunch of portraits and then she screenshots the, the grid on her on her phone. And, and then that's the portrait of the person. And it's just very interesting, very cutting edge work. And then Natalie is, is also just, she is a very straight up, you know, photojournalist. 
Um, so it's kind of interesting, but she doesn't have the, the photo editing background. So it was a great combination, those two in the editing room um, with different perspectives and different goals. Um, I think as the person that was kind of casting the net um, for, for bringing in all of this work in my role, I was just looking to try to really get get stories from everywhere around the world and just leave no stone unturned as far as um, including as many different types of photographers, different types of stories as we possibly could. So, I mean, we're building our network 100% from scratch. Ken has in his in his background, he's been a longtime photojournalist. He obviously has his cohort of people that he grew up with in the industry. But for me, being someone coming in from the outside, I basically built built up our network 100% from scratch. So um, I did that by looking at what's happening on Instagram and then just digging through all the awards and all the websites of all the different groups out there and just really searching as far and wide as we possibly can to get the best possible work. And, and in terms of what we were looking for, it was like we were discussing before. It was, you know, each editor has a different perspective on what exactly it is they're looking for. But I think as a whole, our team, we wanted to feel something and we wanted to see something that we hadn't seen before. And that was a really great experience for me because not being as familiar with the history of photojournalism, and all the work that's out there, I, I would really like a lot of different things. But then our editors who have all this experience and I've seen everything, they'd say, oh, no, that's been done so many times. Oh, no, that's so they really helped us filter through. So I kept coming to them like a kid in a candy store. Oh, look at this. Look at this amazing thing. And they're, oh, we've seen that a million times. That's not even a very good version of it. You know, things like this. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, I'll go back and find us another thing, you know. And so we just kept doing that over and over again until uh, we whittled it down to these 53 photographers that are included in the first issue. Just as much as I believe in the work of today's guests, I also believe in the efforts of the Charcoal Book Club. They are not just a publisher and a distributor of photo books. They are supporting a creative community of photographers whose work is deserving of attention and encouragement. In today's world, it's easy to find information about the latest technology and get recommendations, but not so much photo books. When you become a member of the club, you are going to receive something that you'll recognize as being worth your money, your time, and your support. Check out their first edition books of contemporary photographers, each of which possesses unique content and wonderful designs. I have yet to be disappointed by a title I've received, and I know you'll have the same experience. But just in case you don't like that month's release, you can choose another of their titles of a similar value. They offer free shipping to the US, Canada, and the UK, and it's subsidized elsewhere. Come on, join the club at charcoalbookclub.com today. And remember to use the code THECANDIDFRAME at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. And when it comes to gear that you want to use but you're not sure you want to buy, LensRentals.com is the perfect solution. You can find virtually anything you need and rent it for a weekend or a week and enjoy your own hands-on experience. They have cameras, lenses, lighting, Wacom tablets, and anything you could possibly need for your next photo shoot or adventure. And the best part is that they make it so easy and affordable. Check out their inventory and save 10% on your first order when you sign up for their newsletter at lensrentals.com newsletter. And thanks to all of you who continue to support The Candid Frame financially. By making the choice to contribute to the show, you are making everything that we do possible. I know it's been a difficult year for everyone, but those of you who have continued to support the show, despite all the challenges, are so, so appreciated. And if you haven't done it yet and you love what we do here, why don't you become a Patreon supporter today? It's really easy to do. You can do that by contributing $5, $10, $20 or more a month, whatever you can afford, by visiting patreon.com forward slash the frame. Just $5 a month, just five bucks from you can and will make a big difference. Thank you so much for your kindness and your help. Just following your Instagram, uh, one of the things that really pleases me is, is the diversity of voices there. 
not just in terms of the stories, but the people who are taking the photographs. And I know that's always been a complaint of, of photographers of color and, and women yeah. um, in terms of you know the, the fact that their work and the stories that they want to tell uh, have not been considered of interest to a lot of these publications. And talk to me about the importance of that in, in, in the work that you're doing. Well, our, yeah. our guiding philosophy behind that, like, like Paul said, he wanted to, to cast a wide net. And I don't know where he came up with some of these photographers that he's discovered. It's, it's pretty amazing. The, the level of talent, the level of, of work produced. The idea was, and, and, and we, we said this in meetings time and time again, the world itself is a diverse place. If you cast your if you cast your net wide enough, that diversity will show up on our pages. There's no way it can't. I mean, there's just no way. Yeah, we believe and, in that as a core philosophy. And so uh, we didn't we didn't have we didn't have any you know flowcharts or I don't know what you call them uh, uh, lists or 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 anything like that. But at the end of the day, it it, it reflects the world itself. Yeah. The, the image selection, the story selection, uh, the background of the photographers, the points of view of the photographers, all that stuff is just naturally represented if if you if you put in the elbow grease. Yeah. Yeah. That was the big thing was uh, the fact that we we're starting 100 percent from scratch um, and having someone like myself being sort of the main person that's going out and, and, and turning over all these stones looking for work. Um, is that I definitely wanted it to, I mean, we, we had to, um, look far and wide. And so by, by casting that net so wide, it's that that's how we came up with, you know, such amazing work. And so, so Ken definitely has the approach of, you know, the pictures have to be amazing, but my philosophy on it is just that if we're, if we're not including a diverse amount of voices, different voices from all around the world, we're not doing our job as photojournalists. You know, because it requires different people to tell all the different stories that are out there. Um, and so that's definitely um, one of our goals was just that we, it, we, we're we not going to be able to cover and tell all the different types of stories that are there unless we put in that elbow grease and really go out there and look and find photographers that are telling different stories. Because we just didn't want to have the same old stories over and over again. We just think that, I mean, my approach, I'm, I'm speaking just for myself, is that that's just poor journalism um, to, to repeat the same stuff that's already been done. So it was a necessity um, as well, because like I said, we didn't have this, you know, deep Rolodex full of photographers that we built up over 20 years that we could call and ask for work. So I think by having to build that Rolodex, you know, while we're trying to, you know, build the plane and take it off all at the same time, it reflects the, the state of photojournalism today, the state of documentary photography today, all the people that are working in it today are reflected in our pages. So we weren't burdened with a legacy uh, group of photographers. We didn't have that, those relationships built. Like Paul said, we built it from scratch as we're trying to, we're, we're building the plane as we're trying to take it off. And it, it, it actually, it was actually turned out to be one of our greatest advantages in this whole process. How so? Because we didn't, we didn't have, we didn't, uh, we didn't have to call up photographer X in, uh, see what they were doing uh, in country Y. We didn't have that relationship. We didn't owe them anything. We didn't, you know, so much of photojournalism, it is predictable. You can go to a website of a big agency and you can go to their news of the day and you can predict the top 10 stories and how those images are going to look. That's kind of, that's really the, the part of photojournalism that I've never liked, I've never enjoyed, and I never wanted to, to, to be a part of. My idea for photojournalism is to be curious, right? <laughs> you hear it, I, I, start, I start listening to how often I hear that word now. But that's the that is that is the number one trait for a great photographer, just to be curious, just to walk that extra mile, see what's over that next hill. That's what and that's why we didn't by not relying on people that were more or less established 
and had fallen into to the the patterns of of what photojournalism is is today it forced us out of that comfort zone mm-hmm. and it forced us it it and i'm not you know i i shouldn't say force because we probably we were heading in that direction anyways but it just made it easier that we didn't have any 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 well well paved roads that we were going to travel down just to just to uh we had to create our own roads we had to we and we're still building this network uh we're building each each photo editor and paul i've encouraged them to build up their own stable of photographers that that they know what they're up to they know what they're working on they know where their headspace is they know what their family life is they have to build relationships and so once we have those relationships established and we can continue to add to that stable, we're going to have that, that basically worldwide network of photographers who are, who are, who are producing the, the, the best work out there that aren't, they aren't encouraged to take those photojournalistic uh, shortcuts that are so prevalent today. Yeah. It's really interesting to see the community that you're building. You know, mm-hmm. club up. We've mentioned Clubhouse a couple of times, but also in terms of your plans of providing opportunities for these photographers to network, not just virtually but in person. The scholarships that you're providing to to aspiring photojournalists and documentary photographers, and an opportunity to really sort of engage with the community in a way that's unlike that. You know, that is very different from the opportunities that they have currently. You're creating. You know the very thing that you wanted that you've wanted yourself that you may have had you may have even had at one point but it has been you know lost because the way the industry has changed tell me about that particular aspect of it and since you've been sort of been the 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 social butterfly of 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 the group paul tell me about how you're hoping to make this different because there's the word community is i think bandied about far too freely uh, with, with really no sense of what that means. But what does it mean to you in terms of the work that you're doing? Yeah, I think with us, it just means supporting photojournalism, supporting photojournalists and photographers at every turn in every way that we can. And so starting out as a nonprofit with no funding whatsoever, two, just two you know, very impractical photographers that keep just saying, make it bigger, make it bigger for the magazine. <laughs> you know, we just try to like we said before, do all the legwork, um, all the free things that we can do to support photographers. So for me, as being the person that runs the Instagram and the other social media stuff, um, that just means, you know, giving a thumbs up on someone's picture, uh, giving a comment, giving them a shout out, trying to just put all that good energy into the world that we wanted to see ourselves, you know, as our, we're both photographers ourselves. And we thought, you know, let's just be the 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 role model for what we want how we want all of us in this community to behave online and that's to support each other to not be greedy to be generous you know to to share if you have followers share them with other people if you have an audience try to put someone else in that audience that um or or to to share that audience with someone else that that may not be able to have that so that's really it's all comes from a place um, as photographers ourselves of just treating photographers the way that we want to be treated, you know? So like, that's really a big philosophy for us with our licensing agreement. We both have been asked to do so much work for so little pay. So, I mean, our philosophy on that was just, we want to, we want to write up a licensing agreement that we would be happy to sign, you know, things like that. So at every turn, whether it's on Instagram, whether it's sharing pictures on our story or whether it's on clubhouse, we just want to, you know, do whatever we can do as, as two guys, two photographers, um, with our little network and our growing community that we have to, um, just uplift photojournalism, documentary photography and street photography, you know, the three genres that we love. So that's really how we've done it. That's really how I've done it. Um, it's been surprising. I mean, there was no, we didn't, um, you know, have any smart social media people tell us how to do it or anything like that. We just kind of, you know, follow the example of how we want to be treated. Yeah, and and the, and the point about the licensing agreement, I, I think, is something that really it's important for us to sort of touch on mm-hmm. because the nature of the the photographic business now, uh, in terms of publication or books or online entities, is this whole idea of work for hire, where you surrender the ownership and the copyright of your images. You know, there's very limited ways in which you can 
earn money from images that you yourself have created. You know, the, the limited rights that you surrender in order to get even a modest amount of money into your pocket. Talk to us about what the sort of typical licenses are currently in the, in the world of photography and what you guys are doing differently. Yeah. Ken, you want to talk about that? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's part of our philosophy behind this. We need to create an option for photographers. Right now, if you shoot this great photo essay, where do you go with it? Do you go to a publication that forces you to hire a work for hire contract or a transfer of some of your copyright? They might force you to, to market your work through a certain agency where they get the, the lion's share of the, the, the profits from that work. Um, so we had to create this this alternative option. It's just an option for photographers. And right now, so we don't, we don't put photographers on assignment. So we don't ask them to sign a contract. They produce their work and they submit it to us. If we publish it, we license it for a, a, what's called a space rate. And this was an old way of doing things. When I was with Time Magazine, the day rate was say $500 a day. And the space rate for a single page in the magazine was also $500. So if you got two pages in the magazine, you'd get an extra $500. You'd get the space rate was more than the, than, than the day rate. Now, um, the day rates rarely are match that same, that same Time Magazine day rate from 20 years ago. But the space rate is, is non-existent. So you could shoot an assignment for time. Not, I'm sorry, I shouldn't use a, a specific magazine. I, I don't know what time's current rates are. Uh, I'm just, you know, I know what they were 20 years ago. But, but normally today, a photographer shoots for a specific publication. They, they get paid on a daily basis. And the, the, the publication can use those images as big as they want, as many times as they want, they can place them on the cover. They can, they can, in some circumstances, even use them for advertising. They can resell them they to other outlets. Them. Yeah, they 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 have, and and then the, the photographer only gets that first rate, that first day rate, and most of those day rates are anywhere between. Two fifty and five hundred dollars today, depending on who you're working for. But there's no chance, not only to relicense those images to a non-competing publication, or relicense those images to the same publication uh, six months down the road. That's it. The day rate is it, and then you don't. There's no other way to profit off your work. It's it's basically if you hired Elton John to sing at your wedding. You could then publish a video and, 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 and release a CD of his performance at your wedding and Elton John wouldn't get paid. There's no difference between licensing music and licensing still images. We've given up those licensing rights as photographers. And it harkens back to something that, that Paul was talking about, this idea that we treat everybody the way we want to be treated. Um, we used to have enough... Um, there used to be enough to go around, right? Everybody, nobody got overly rich, but everybody made a good living. And every, then there was plenty of, uh, there was plenty of jobs to go around. There were plenty of pages to go around. When that started tightening up, when that, you know, the waterhole started to dry up, that's when photographers got, you know, very possessive of their, not only their clients, but their social media following, all this kind of thing. Because they, they, the the competition was so fierce, and there was there there was just not much left to go after. So if we can provide an option, if a photographer has the option to license their image to us, see it on our pages, and then license that license that same image ten times later down the road, that's a win for them. And then that forces other publications, right? The first time a big, big publication is told no by a photographer, when they want an image by that photographer, the first time they say no and 
no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to uh, publish this in the curious society. That that's a, that's a marketplace, a change in the marketplace that forces other publications, uh, other, other people that use photography to adapt to that change. And that's mm. probably the craziest thing I've said today. That's probably the craziest <laughs> thing that, you know, the, the idea that I'm going that through this little nonprofit, we're going to force mainstream magazines and newspapers that are funded by billionaires that we're going to force them to change um, how they how they get work from photographers is admittedly you know crazy talk yeah but, but there have been crazier ideas that have uh, borne plenty of fruit and yeah. you know and I think considering you know how many uh, photojournalists complain about the state of things it's it's nice to see your team doing something about it making a real sincere effort to affect to affect some change and yeah it's a big it's a big leap but sometimes that's what it takes so i i, I celebrate you guys for for doing this and i can't wait until i see that first issue yeah <laughs> i was i was already excited but just talking to you guys over the, this past hour has just gotten me all the more. And I know that you guys are going to be glad to just be able to ship it out. You guys have been working on it oh, yeah. for so long. Yeah. I mean, it, we, members like you um, that, that have joined the Curious Society, I mean, that's that's how we're paying for this, you know, is it member supported. So we're not driven by ads. We're not driven by corporate profits. We're driven by members like yourself that care about photography. And so that's really the clientele that we're trying to serve. So if you like the magazine, and you're happy with it, then then we're happy with it. And the more members that we can sign up, the more we can um, increase our our space rate and start you know really being a force to be reckoned with as far as getting the getting first dibs on the best pictures in the world. Yeah, and and, and people that need to understand that you know because the you know this is this isn't you know a discounted magazine that you get for fourteen ninety nine for a year. You know, yeah. you're making an investment into not only you guys as publishers, but you you in terms of a group that's championing championing work that really deserves attention and deserves to be showcased in this particular way. So, anyone who's listening, check it out and find a and and find it in you to be able to uh, support the work they're doing. And we'll include uh, information on the website so they can check out the various tiers. Mm-hmm. and uh, how they can contribute and be, and become part of this because I, I want so much for this to succeed and grow exponentially. Yeah. Um, when, with what you just said, I mean, it, it, you know, it, all, it almost brought tears to my eye because when I, when I look at the work that's in this first issue, I realize that it would, it would not have been seen. It certainly wouldn't been, have been seen properly maybe a single image here, a single image there, but it wouldn't have been seen properly. And I'm, and I wonder, I mean, it, 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 it literally just breaks my heart to think that this kind of work is people are, people are making, they're, they're making personal sacrifices to do this kind of work. Mm-hmm. And then it's never, it, it's never seen, you know, the, the, the board members, myself, we had, we had a, the, the, photojournalism photography it it gave us a life that 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 rivals any 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 type of experience out there we got you know you go i think a neil neil lifer is in in our first issue you know neil neil was was shooting pictures of muhammad ali you know and frank sinatra was sitting behind neil that's the type of life you get as a photographer, as a photojournalist. You got a front row seat to everything in the world. And you get to have these experiences with people that that you'd never get to meet. Most people would never meet. And that is such a blessing. And it's such, it really, it just breaks my heart to think that, uh, that you know, as, a, as a, that, that, that I could leave this 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 tradition without at least trying to put up a fight, at least trying to trying yeah. to save it. And I, you know, I just I, I, I'm sorry, I'm getting carried away. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> a rarity, a rarity with Ken. 
Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask each photographer to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. And, um, and, and uh, either of you can, can go first. Yeah, I think I'll go first since I've been the one that's been uh, discovering all these awesome photographers. Um, I really, you know, I got to give a shout out to our Instagram account, uh, you know, the.curious.society. Um, you'll see a lot of new great photographers being shared there all the time. And one of the first ones that we shared is a woman in Ecuador and her name is Joyce Alarcón. And it's spelled J-O-H-I-S dot A-L-A-R-C-O-N. Um, and she's just an amazing documentary photographer in Ecuador. If you don't know about her, if you're in the world of photojournalism and documentary photography and you don't know about her already, definitely check her out because she's she's a big up and comer. She's winning all kinds of awards. She's been a magnum uh, inductee uh, uh, apprenticeship things like this. So she's a real big up and comer, um, and her work is just amazing. It's it's in uh, we got a couple of pictures from her in the first issue of our magazine. Um, they're two of the best and, and just most striking uh, spreads that you'll see. So, um, yeah, that's that's my recommendation is is Joyce. Joyce, awesome. That's hard. Again. That's hard to talk. That's hard to talk. Um, <laughs> she's she's, both she's of our a favorite. special talent. She's a special talent. And I, so I'm, I'm going to go old school and I'm, I'm just going to I'm going to I'm going to say this name because. Uh, he he was a photographer. He is a photographer. He's still with us, thank God. Uh, who I was probably eighteen or nineteen when I met him, and I didn't know what photography could do until I I, I took a workshop with Gio Perez. And mm. what we're trying to do here with images on paper, and I you know if you think of Telex Iran, that was a big oversized book that uh, was completely out of the norm for photography. There, there weren't ph huge photography books back then. He shot that whole book with uh, a Nikon 58 millimeter micro, what would they call those? Macro, micro lens. And um, he shot it on that so he could shoot at F32 and have this astounding depth of field with Tri-X and daylight and... He basically, he did things with a camera that nobody had done before. And to talk to him and to see his work, and I know it's almost a cliche. It's like saying Robert Frank, right? But Gilles Perez is, is uh, to me, he's the one that, that with Telex Iran, he captured, he, he brought home to me what images on a piece of paper could do. And I had no idea, you know, I had no idea. I was, you know, just out of high school and, you know, making a, making a print in the dark room on five by seven paper was still a big deal. You know, that was, that was like, and to see images that had such depth and such composition and such beauty to them on big pieces of paper, that's a gift that, that Gio gave me, gave, gave to a lot of people that, uh, that I guess maybe we're trying to do that ourselves a little bit. I, I just put that book in my queue a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to have to move it up. Uh. Uh, Ken supposedly has a copy, but he's never let me see it. So I'm still, every time I go, I'm like, where's, where's Telex Iran? Where is it? You said you're going to have yeah. it. Right me. It's expensive. Yes, I know. I know. I know. There's several, there's, yeah, there've been several books that, uh, I've, I've doled out the money for mm -hmm. just because I knew it's just like, it's only going to get more expensive. I already have limited bookshelf space already, but sometimes it's just like, I might as well do it now. I had a chance <laughs> to buy like the first edition of Subway by Bruce Davidson mm. and oh. put it off. And it was just like, I think about it oh. now and I just go, what the hell was I thinking? I love oh. the book. It was worth, you know, this is like in 80, late 80s or early 90s. And it was just, I loved the book. And every time I would go to the bookstore, I would look through it. And I didn't, and for some idiot reason, I thought I couldn't afford it. Well, now I certainly can't afford that first edition. But, yeah. you know, that's right. I have a copy of the book, but not the first edition that I could have had. But that's another conversation. Oh, yeah. We could talk about <laughs> photo books forever. We love them. We're, we're obsessed with them. And, you know, our wives hate us for it. 
<laughs> well, gentlemen, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank that you, man. Wonderful. That was great. Thank you. Thanks to Ken and Paul for joining us. Find out more about the Curious Society by visiting CuriousSociety.org. Your thoughts and feelings about the show matter. If you haven't already, please write a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to podcasts. It helps us to stand out among the many thousands of podcasts that are out there. Your voice makes a difference. And remember, you can support the show by becoming a Patreon supporter today or make a one-time or recurring donation via PayPal. Thanks to Amanda Ibarra for her recent contribution. We also provide a series of ebooks on photography available for purchase on our website. It's my way of sharing my experience and knowledge and another way for you to support the show. And just in case you can't find every episode of the show on whatever service you listen to podcasts, download the Candid Frame app, which is available for both Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candor Frames audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.